This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, August 4th, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. The debt deal could compel some substantial cuts to U.S. military spending, and how that spending gets cut may require the stirring of some competitive impulses in various agencies trying to protect their budgets. Ben Friedman, Research Fellow in Defense and Homeland Security Studies at the Cato Institute, comments. The budget deal's effect on the defense budget is kind of hard to pin down because mostly what it does is create a bunch of fights over spending, but it doesn't resolve those fights. It sort of defers a lot of decisions about spending, including defense spending. So you're hearing a lot now in the media that the deal creates up to 850 or $900 billion in defense cuts. And that's true, but it's important to keep in mind that it's a maximum figure. Uh, and it's also possible that the deal won't cut defense spending at all. Uh, and just to quickly explain what I mean, what the deal does is two things that could cut defense spending. First, it creates security spending caps for fiscal years 2012 and 2013. Security spending includes not just defense spending, but veterans, Homeland Security, and the State Department. And the amount that it caps those things at for fiscal year 2012 is only $5 billion below what spending on all those things will be for fiscal year 2011. And the 2013 cap for those things is just 2.5 or close to $3 billion uh, below what we spent on those things. So in other words, we're looking at very minor cuts across this whole category of things in security as a result of this first um, cut mechanism. And those cuts don't have to go to the Pentagon. They could go to Homeland Security. They could go to state. And that, that remains to be resolved. Then the White House says, through this mechanism, we're going to save $350 billion on defense over a decade. And as far as I can tell, that number is just a PR invention. What they've done is they've assumed that the amount we spend under the caps on security will remain in place for the entire decade, even though the caps are only in place for two years and there's no way to control security spending under this legislation after those two years. And then they take that spending trajectory and compare it to the Congressional Budget Office baseline, which is growth faster than inflation. And the difference is basically $400 billion or so. And they say the amount of that that we assign to the Pentagon to the base defense budget is $350 billion. But there's, it's, it's a very silly and uh, non-serious number because of those flaws, because uh, the caps run out after two years and because it's arbitrary how much you assign to the Pentagon because the legislation doesn't tell you what amount of cuts go to the Pentagon as opposed to all the other stuff in the security category. That's the first way to get uh, defense spending cuts. The second comes as a result of the sequestration process, where if this joint congressional committee that the budget deal creates can't come up with $1.2 trillion uh, in cuts, then uh, we have this automatic process that cuts um, spending by that same amount, $1.2 trillion, and half of that is supposed to come uh, from defense. And uh, that is, is actually a, a, a more legitimate real cut. It would, it, that would create a, a uh, sizable but not huge uh, cut to the base defense budget. Doesn't this set up – you talk a lot about 
how the various branches within the Pentagon should be fighting for their budgets. That is, there should not be this gentleman's agreement among these branches for their budgets if this sequestration process or uh, some other triggers that set up automatic cuts, does that not serve that uh, that goal of sort of forcing this competitive process, if not within the Pentagon, but between various security aspects of federal spending? Yes. Number one, to whatever extent you hold down spending in an agency, whether it's the Pentagon or anything else, you're likely to increase the competitive forces that, that are at, at play in that agency because nothing solves conflict like ever-increasing budgets, right? Everybody can sort of have their money and they don't have to fight for it. So whenever you hold down spending, it's likely to increase conflict and, and uh, we are at least restraining, we're likely to be restraining uh, defense spending here even if in the first round we're not cutting it. So there'll be some of that. But like you suggest, the more important fights here might be across security agencies. So for the first two years, while we have this security spending cap in place, there will be fights between the different elements of the national security establishment that are within their budget, whose budgets are within the security cap, and fights within the Congress where the different um, uh, congressional committees uh, that are in charge of appropriations, the appropriations subcommittees will be fighting for the budgets of those agencies they control. So the Republicans, um, led by people like Buck McKeon, who's the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, and Bill Young, who's a big uh, appropriator, uh, will be looking to push the cuts uh, that are necessary uh, for the security category onto DHS, onto the Department of Homeland Security and the State Department. And you'd imagine that the Democrats will uh, try to defend the Department of Homeland Security and the State Department. Uh, and so probably you'll have a fight between the Senate, which is, of course, Democratic, and the House, which is Republican. So there's that. Then after two years, there'll be a broader fight or a different sort of fight where the security cap goes away, and you're likely to see a more traditional partisan fight uh, between Republicans who just want to cut um, non-defense spending and Democrats who have sort of the opposite view. Um, and uh, that ought to play out uh, over, over the next few years. How do you think this shapes up with the Tea Party movement uh, and the so-called Tea Party members of Congress that are a little more skeptical about uh, defense spending? One dynamic, one conflict that this legislation creates is that it should increase conflict among Republicans, particularly among Republicans whose first priority is spending reductions and tax cuts. Maybe that's a first and second priority, and Republicans who want to defend uh, defense spending from any cuts. The main reason for that is that in this joint committee, uh, Democrats are likely to say, "Let's do something along the lines of cutting defense spending and uh, raising taxes." And Republicans, even if they would agree to tax increases in the committee, which is questionable, it seems really unlikely that the House will pass anything along those lines. So. Um, Democrats might then say in the committee, in the Joint Congressional Committee, the best option for us is sequestration because under sequestration, half the cuts go to the Pentagon and half go to discretionary spending. And we're probably not going to get a better deal uh, from Republicans than that. So we're just going to sit on our hands. 
Meanwhile, then you have the Republicans on the committee and, and the Republicans who have to vote on what the committee recommends. And the ones who are neoconservatives who think we ought to keep funding the defense budget, uh, increasing the defense budget, will probably be happy to agree to tax increases insofar as they can defend the defense budget, whereas the more anti-tax people uh, in the Republican caucus will say no way uh, and will probably also be happy to go to sequestration. Uh, they don't. They probably will say we don't need to cut a deal, particularly when the Democrats are pushing for tax increases. So to me, that means the most likely outcome of all that is stalemate, and there will be sequestration, and that means there'll be uh, $500 billion or $600 billion, uh, in, in defense cuts over 10 years, which is fairly substantial. Another dynamic this legislation creates is it's going to create pressure to dump base Pentagon spending, normal Pentagon spending into the war budgets. This has been a problem going back to when we started doing these supplemental appropriations for the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, where some stuff is in there that probably belongs in the base budget, but we're saying it's war funding. Uh, but now, because war costs aren't capped and, and the defense budget is under the security cap, there'll be a lot of temptation for uh, hawks to say, well, let's just move whatever we can over to the war budgets where it's un uncapped. And that's something I think that those of us who are opposed to spending increases in the wars really ought to watch out for and police. Ben Friedman is a research fellow in defense and homeland security studies at the Cato Institute. Read more of his work at Cato.org.